Welcome back to McLean's on the Hill. I'm Cormac McSweeney, Parliament Hill Bureau Chief for City News and Rogers Radio. Coming up on the show, we speak about global education with former Australian Prime Minister Julia Gillard. But first... This week, we thought we would have a McLean's panel to try and discuss the big foreign and defense policies that were released this week by the Trudeau government. And joining me to do so is McLean's Ottawa Bureau Chief John Geddes and McLean's senior writer Paul Wells. Thanks very much for being here, guys. Ah, great to be here. Thank you. All right. A big week. It all started off with... Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland standing in the House of Commons to basically lay out the priorities for this government when it comes to foreign affairs. Uh, there were also some comments about the United States. There were headlines uh, almost making it seem as if uh, she was criticizing the U.S. by saying that the U.S. has pulled away from its global leadership and Canada can no longer rely on the United States for defense and global issues. So, Paul, what do you make of Christia Freeland's speech? Um, it's, it's highly unusual for any minister, frankly, to stand in the House of Commons and explain what they do in general for close to an hour. <laughs> it should be more common, and it's not. Uh, and and I, I think that the moment that Freeland chose uh, was spurred by two things. First of all, that the next day her colleague uh, Harj Sajjan was going to bring out the uh, defense policy. And so it's a good moment to think about Canada and the world. And secondly, 10 days earlier, there was a G7 summit in which, uh, in, in Italy, in which Trump uh, seemed to be very disengaged with uh, his international responsibilities. And I think the federal government has to some extent decided that uh, staying in this guy's good books is, first of all, pretty easy, and secondly, barely worth it. Hmm. And so it's time to start governing um, uh, less with a, an, a, an obsessive eye toward how Donald Trump will, will react and more to govern around him, uh, to, to figure out how Canada can uh, diversify its exports uh, away from uh, uh, the United States, to figure out how it can build alliances that don't include an American, uh, and to um, build bridges around the world rather than just than having a sort of a exclusively domestic and Canada-U.S. set of policies. And is a lot of this new, though? Haven't we already seen a lot of the groundwork uh, that the government has put in place to try and move beyond the United States, such as uh, International Trade Minister uh, Francois-Philippe Champagne heading to many different countries and having talks right now to try and boost our trade and, and boost our relations with others? Uh, there is no more uh, busy cabinet minister than uh, Francois-Philippe Champagne. Uh, his staff offered me an interview with him two months ago, and I'm finally going to get it on June 24th. Uh, and, and he simply, has, he simply hasn't uh, been on the ground long enough to talk in the meantime. Uh, but Canadian attempts to diversify trade away from the United States are eternal. Um, there's uh, a, a, a Canada-Britain wheat deal that uh, Jimmy Gardner, the, the, the great uh, agriculture minister of the 40s and 50s, uh, cooked up after the Second World War. Uh, Justin Trudeau's father uh, sought a third way, uh, um, a, a way to have trade relationships besides Canada-U.S. Uh, Stephen Harper tried, and they've, they've come up against the geographic fact that the easiest thing in the world is to build a factory in the border and lob product across the border to Wisconsin. Hmm. Um, and now Justin Trudeau is going to try 
and he may have better luck or he may have the same luck everyone always had. So, John, this big foreign speech was supposed to sort of tee everything up for the right. defense policy review that was released the day following. How did this complement with, de- with the defense policy? Well, there's two ways. I mean, one way, it almost is an anti-complement, if that's a term. Like, people, if, if you think of freedom speech as being the kind of, well, Trump's not leading the world anymore, then the element of this, of the defense policy that was to step up Canada's spending to come a little closer to Donald Trump's targets for NATO would seem to be kind of kind of cutting against that, kind of trying to get close to President. I actually don't, don't think that's the driving thing behind the defense policy. Here's a weird thing. If you go back and look at the liberal platform from the 2015 election, they say the Harper government shortchanged the military, we're going to better equip the military and put the military on a long-term footing that it's more stable going forward. That's kind of what they tried to do this week. So to suggest that the policy comes out entirely out of the Trump moment seems to miss a point, which is that taking them at their word, it does seem like the liberals came into office thinking they were going to do something like this. Hey, can I back away just for a second? Listen to Paul talking about Christopher and made me think of something. Sometimes people think of Ottawa as this insular place eh, where, where politicians don't really have very, very sophisticated connections. And this week we had Freeland, whose family roots are in the Ukraine, who understands Europe, but who had an, has an American mentor, Lawrence Summers, the sort of powerful fig- economics figure from the Obama and Clinton White Houses, and a you know, significant figure. So she kind of has a, a, a U.S. perspective and a global perspective. And then you've got Harjit Sajjan, who... Family roots are in India, who worked in Afghanistan and Bosnia, but along with that sort of broad global perspective, has an American mentor, General James Terry. So we've got these interesting cabinet ministers whose perspectives are both kind of international and sort of bilateral. I think it's, a, it's fascinating just to think of them crafting policy in this particular moment. Do you think, uh, to get back to the defense policy, do you yeah. think the, the policy... Are you saying I digressed from the defense policy there? <laughs> you admittedly <laughs> yes, did so. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. um, but do you think it struck the right chord? There's a lot of spending here, yeah. but a lot of it is backloaded. So yeah. I, I, there have been some sure. criticisms that they need money now, not five well, to ten years Well, they're now. getting about uh, more than half a billion dollars this year, right, which is going to come in, the, if for people who follow this kind of thing, it'll come in the fall supplementary adjustment. So there is some upfront money in this. I think it's slightly wrong. Now, it's true, the big money, I wrote this, the billions of multiple billions of dollars will come after the next election. So one of the questions everyone, I think, rightfully asks is how can this policy bind any future future government to, to spend money. We've all seen defense projections go awry. They're scaled back when there's an oil price slump or a deficit spike or a recession. That, that happens. There are some differences here. To be fair to the government, they've spelled out the spending more concretely and with more specifics than I've ever seen before. And the defense minister says, and I think this is justifiable, that that will make it harder for future governments, not impossible, but harder for them to scale back simply because critics in the opposition benches, the military establishment and the media will be able to look and say, hey, wait a minute, we have a document from 2017 that says how much you should be spending this year in this and you've scaled it back. So it at least sets out benchmarks that people can watch in the years coming forward. And uh, there will be some contracts signed before the end of this uh, first mandate as well, which would yeah. bind the government legally yeah. to, to make some of those purchases. Yes. Are either of you surprised uh, that we still don't have any peacekeeping announcement yet from the government, uh, given the fact that the focus this week was all about defense mm. and foreign affairs, and yet we still 
have nothing on that. Paul? It's, it's unsurprising in that um, most of the places where you would reasonably send peacekeepers are hell holes. Yep. Uh, um, Mali, um, the United Nations held open the command of the, of, the, of the United Nations mission in Mali for several months at the beginning of the year, hoping that a Canadian would mm -hmm. fill it. Finally, they gave it to a, Bel a Belgian officer. Um, uh, soldiers are dying, including Western soldiers, are dying in Mali at the rate of a few a week. And Canadians stationed there would certainly die. The only thing I'm wondering is, if the Prime Minister is hoping that uh, things will calm down, uh, who is telling him that those kinds of missions will ever calm down? It's either going to be this dangerous in a year, um, or it'll be this dangerous in five years. Or like, I mean, th I these right. are intractable problems. And the decision isn't ever going to get easier. So um, at, 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 to some extent, the Prime Minister, I think, has to sort of um, uh, fish or cut bait on the whole notion of sending Canadian soldiers into uh, very dangerous missions that would make a difference for the people on the ground, but are essentially optional to Canadian interests. That's entirely right. And if I could just add to that, Paul, like it's, it, that's the truth about this particular mission we're about to take on, or we think we're about to take on. But more broadly, it's remarkable that we have a liberal defense policy document come out that is really very light on peacekeeping, right? You think about peacekeeping as being the liberal brand in defense, very light on that. And that's a noticeable thing about this defense review. All right. Thank you very much, guys. Really appreciate your thoughts. McLean's Ottawa Bureau Chief John Geddes and McLean Senior Writer Paul Wells. Coming up after the break on McLean's On the Hill, we speak with former Australian Prime Minister Julia Gillard about how Canada can do more on global education.